today's passage comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. And at this time, uh, Brother Joshua Lee will read the passage for us. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the reading of God's word. Hey, good morning uh, or good afternoon. Uh, so, it's good to see everybody here online. Um, happy New Year. And... Um, Welcome to the first service of 2022. I know we didn't plan it like this. It was sort of a last minute decision, but I think for the safety of uh, the church, uh, at least for this Sunday, we decided to um, go virtual. Um, next week, though, we are still, I think, planning to be back in person. So this is not, um, as of yet, something that's ongoing, but just for this Sunday. And so first Sunday of 2022, we're going to just be on, on virtual. But what we're doing here is now where, if you remember the last time we met in person, or if you joined us on Zoom, we looked at this passage here and kind of try and describe, at least in biblical terms, what the word new meant for people in the Bible, um, what they look forward to every year. And I'm not sure if you uh, still do these things, um, you know, New Year's Day, hopefully you had a great New Year's, um, but maybe you did make some resolutions, maybe there are things, at least in your mind, that you are um, looking forward to. Um, things you want to do differently, things you're hoping for, or even just to get back to some kind of normalcy. Well, uh, as we look at this passage, this, this book here comes at the end of the Bible, right? It's, it's in Revelation. The Apostle John wrote this book to his readers, and um, it really is a picture of what they were looking forward to, the promises that was made to them, uh, even back then, uh, as they lived in the world with a, with a lot of trouble. And I think it speaks to us to something. And I, I, you know, I think before we looked at the Christmas holidays, we were talking about narratives, um, how people in, in their lives, how they process their events and experience are, are through life stories. And basically what I want to do is, is to revisit that a little bit and to propose again uh, a narrative that the Bible gives us with reflection to the history of not only our lives, but of the world. You see, one of the things that we see here is this. We, we live, I think people say, we live in a pretty much individualistic society, right? What that means is that we tend to think individualistically when it comes to a lot of things in our life, uh, and including our faith. Uh, it's amazing how we can take something that's good and, and make it into something that's all about us. And so when we think about Christianity, maybe, you know, if you've been in the church for a while, you tend to think like this, well, Jesus 
you know, he died for me. Uh, Jesus loves me. Um, maybe Jesus will or God will answer my prayers and help me in my situation. Um, and so it, it becomes in a sense about me and, and all those statements and all those thoughts are, are absolutely you know, true. Um, but when you look at the Bible and you especially look at this passage, what you realize is that the Bible gives us a bigger narrative, a bigger picture than just than just me. And it, I think, expands our thinking. Uh, and we began to see this already the last time we saw this passage in Revelation 21, uh, that the idea of, the, of new in the Bible, the idea of a new year, if you want to think about it that way, if you notice, it's not just about you, is it? When you look at these passages, it's not just about me. Uh, it's not just about a new you or a new individual, but it speaks here when you look at these verses about a new nation, uh, a new people made for God. Uh, in a new place, right, where it's described a place where there is no more tears, no more mourning, uh, no more death, under a new king who, according to verse 5, sits on the throne and declares, behold, I am making everything new. So this picture is a picture of wholeness, a picture of peace that I think not just you and I, but the world, in fact, some ways yearns for, that at times we also yearn for, that the Bible says only he can really give. And so if we're only thinking about you, if we're only thinking about me, when you think about God, as true as that might be, to an extent, it's a very myopic or short-sighted understanding of the Bible's plan or the God's plan for us. Not sure if or what you might be looking forward to this year, but in the broad strokes, Revelation 21, in fact, the whole Bible I'd want to propose, looks forward to what this place or what this passage says, that, the, that what they look forward to every year is nothing less than cosmic in scope. And so when you look at the Bible, let me just, just do it this way. Uh, if Revelations is the end of the Bible, right, then we know that Genesis is the beginning. And between Genesis and Revelation, I, I think we can, one of the themes, one of the narratives we see here is the narrative of brokenness. Brokenness. Because Revelations 21 is talking about wholeness, which addresses brokenness. And you look at Genesis and you look at the beginning, and there are at least four things uh, that we can say about this brokenness. And all of this, if you look at Genesis chapter 3, was introduced according to the Bible's narrative because of this issue, which we call sin, right? Sin isn't just doing something wrong. Sin isn't just disobedience, right? Sin isn't just, you know, missing the mark, as some theologians want to describe. Sin is also an effect of brokenness not just in us, but around us. And you look at Genesis 3, let me just give you quick things, four quick things here that, that I think uh, displays that in Genesis 3. First, what we see in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve are in the garden and they eat of that fruit, which they're not supposed to, sin enters into the world and immediately brokenness comes in. And the first one we see is there's brokenness with man himself. You see, if you read Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, it says that as soon as they did this, the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is basically a picture of, the, of something that wasn't there before, but now is uh, because of sin. Shame, right? If you're, if you're making fig leaves and you're, and you're covering yourself, you're trying to hide something. There's guilt. There's embarrassment. Uh, those things were never there in the Bible prior to Genesis 3, and yet they are now in Genesis 3. There's a brokenness with man himself and his own identity. But secondly, there's also what we see in Genesis 3 as sin enters the world, 
is not just brokenness with himself, but there's brokenness with each other. So you read Genesis 3, verse 12, and immediately when God says, who did this, the, the man blames the woman, right? The woman blames the serpent, and they uh, blame each other, the husband and wife. So there's, there's, there's no conflict, okay? There, there's uh, there's a, a, a brokenness in a relationship, social conflict, right? Relational. So there's not just brokenness with me, there's brokenness with me and others, and then Thirdly, that we always see here in Genesis 3 is that there's also brokenness with our environment. So when you read verse 17 of Genesis 3, it says there to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate of the tree, which I commanded you not to, uh, cursed is the ground because of you. Painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. And so not only is there brokenness in me, but brokenness between me and others, but there's now brokenness, a sense of brokenness between me and the world around me. And we call these things basically things like natural disasters, right? Things like earthquakes, things like tornadoes, things like disease, things like hunger, things like a pandemic, right? A result of the brokenness of this world. But the fourth thing that we see here in the brokenness in the beginning of the Bible, not just with myself, not just with others, not just with my environment, but now also with God. There's a brokenness between me and God. And you read that in Genesis 3, verse 22 to 24, where God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden, basically from his presence, and they were not allowed to come back, that he was removed from the very presence of God because a relationship with him was broken. Okay, so if you put it all together in Genesis three, the very beginning of the Bible, we see this theme of brokenness. We see in the fall, all of man's relationships are shattered. It's broken with himself, a human brokenness. There's brokenness with others, a social brokenness. Right. And then there's broken with nature itself, a physical brokenness. And last but not least, there's a brokenness with God, a theological brokenness. Okay, and if you look at each of these brokennesses very carefully, uh, there's there's something that tells us that we can relate with even today that kind of leads us to yearn for wholeness, right? For example, you know, there's brokenness with ourselves, human brokenness. You know, oftentimes if they they say if you're a Korean American or if you're Korean, you you tend to eat rice or or you tend to crave maybe kimchi, right? And you can often tell where you're from or where you grew up by what you crave, what you desire. Right. And if you've ever experienced this, um, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, nobody desires guilt. Nobody desires shame. Nobody desires condemnation or even rejection. Uh, We don't like that. We naturally desire not just to be comfortable with ourselves, uh, not just to be accepted, but also we want to be the best that we can be right? We want to be the best we can be. We may be broken in ourselves, but we want to be better. How do I know? Because we naturally tend to admire those that we think are the best, right? You might play basketball, but if you ever watch clips of Michael Jordan play basketball, you're naturally in awe because you see the best, right? You might listen to music or play music, sing a song, but when you listen to your favorite artist, you're in awe. There's a desire uh, to be like that. We admire that. And the question you've got to ask is this, where, where does that come from? Uh, where does that idea, where does that desire come from? So that's a human brokenness that we have, but we admire and look forward to a better us, okay? We want 
a better us, but not only just us, also in our relationships, right? If we talk about social brokenness of men with others, even in our own relationships today, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your children, whether it's your parents, whether it's your friends, these relationships, the relationships we think should be closest to us are usually the ones that we get hurt by the most. Did you ever notice that? We get upset when we feel we've been wronged. We say things like it's unjust or this is unfair. We experience broken relationships all the time. And we also feel that it just it shouldn't be this way, that, that this relationship is not just bad, but it's just wrong. And where do we get that sense? You take this to a bigger scale, not just relationship in our personal lives, but with the world or society itself, we know racism is wrong. We know bigotry is bad. We know that the way some people treat each other is far from the ideal. And so we desire justice. We desire wrongs to be made right. We desire to be treated with and believe in a basic human dignity and value for all people. But where do you get that idea? the desire uh, to see that kind of wholeness in relationships. Why do we get upset because of brokenness in our relationships? And we understand and we can relate also not just with our own brokenness and desire to be better, uh, relational brokenness and desire to be whole with other people, but also a physical and natural brokenness in nature. We call things like you know earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes, natural disasters, right? Famines, droughts, disease, COVID-19. And in light of science, if you look at biology, these things are natural, according to them. It's just biology. But it doesn't feel that way, does it? It doesn't feel natural when it wrecks homes, displaces families, even takes lives. No one ever says, oh, oh, it's just natural. The virus is just doing what it was meant to do. No, what do we do? We, we work hard to try and keep nature under control or try at least to keep up with nature. We want nature to work for us, not the other way around. And so might I suggest, whether it's a desire for better human relationships, whether it's a desire to see ourselves better, or even a better relationship or control over the ever-changing environment, these desires don't just come out of nothing, right? Sociologist Peter Berger, who passed away several years ago in his book, Rumor of Angels, he says this, quote, the human propensity to believe that the world is ordered in a trustworthy way, the capacity to play, the capacity to hope in the face of death, the conviction that some things are just wrong and must be condemned, and the capacity to laugh. All these, he says, are what he calls signals of transcendence, that there's something more than just here and now what we see. He says this, quote, the prototypical human gestures aren't supported by evidence. They can't be justified intellectually, yet they seem deeply characteristic of human life. Peter Berger called these signals of transcendence, the desire for a better you, the desire for a better relationship, a better environment, control our, our own nature. And yet, even so, in, in our modern society, these things, these desires are flashes of light which seem to point us to a transcendent reality. That's his argument. I mean, he's not a Christian, but that's what he says. And perhaps then what we think about is this, that what we desire from things in us, what we desire from things in our relationships this year, what we desire from our society and the world, even from nature itself, are like signals of transcendence that maybe they tell us something, that what we desire, what we expect from these things ultimately tells us what we're made for, where we really belong. That in the world, as good as it might get, oftentimes it's just not good enough. 
And if anything, the pandemic has taught us, it's that this world with all its advancement still isn't as it should be. That we shouldn't have to be dealing with preventable disease. That we shouldn't have to be dealing with racism and bigotry. That we shouldn't have to have people worry about what to eat and where to sleep. That we shouldn't still have to worry about the safety of our children. But we try, right? We try really hard to make the best of it and to have our best life now. All the while wondering, what would it be like if no one got angry? What would it be like? If no one was jealous or depressed or sad, what would it be like if no one fought, no one hurt each other, no one got sick, uh, you know, and what would it be like if no one died? And so now you know then why in the Bible, especially from the very beginning, the prophets constantly spoke of a day when things, like we said last time, won't get old anymore fall apart anymore, disintegrate anymore, break down anymore. There was this longing for something more and something better. And the Bible's answer, its narrative is addressing that brokenness, okay? And it's a brokenness it addresses, not by addressing people first, the human brokenness. It addresses it first, not by talking about the social brokenness, people and people, and not even by talking first about the physical or natural brokenness, the people in nature, but it addresses this brokenness as a whole by first addressing people and God. It's theological brokenness, that he is our God and that we are his people. And the way it does that is that he sends this person, Jesus Christ, his son, Emmanuel, God with us, to redress the sin that was introduced from the very beginning. Okay, the weakness, the barriers that keep us from him. He heals man's broken relationship with himself to save sinners and to bring them closer to him. That God sends his son into this broken world, right? To save sinners, yes, but here the point is to make us whole as we were meant to be, to promise to make us the best us, the promise to bring us into a situation where there is no more brokenness, whether in us, between us, or around us in nature. A complete wholeness, or what the Old Testament calls shalom, peace, wholeness. And this is what we see in Revelation 21, when Jesus says in verse 5, as he sits on the throne, I am making everything new. He's not giving us, and the Bible is not giving us just a fairy tale, as we might sometimes think. But giving us a promise to what we've known that we've always wanted, what we are still looking for here in this world, and yet we always come short. And there's a reason for that, because it's a reminder that as much as we try, as hard as we try, this place is not that place, that this world is not our final home. That's why our church's name is Sojourner. We are pilgrims traveling through a wilderness to a home. We're in a wilderness, believe it or not. Um, Mere Christianity, the book that uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, the famous quote he has, he says this, Lewis says, quote, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And what he's saying, end quote, what he's saying is this, the fact that our heart still yearns for something that earth can't supply, is proof that heaven must be our home. 
So how does coming of Jesus Christ bring us this brokenness? And here's the irony. You know, today is the first day, uh, Sunday of, of January. Normally what we do is the Lord's table or the Lord's supper, but we're not going to be able to do that. But, you know, every time I do the Lord's supper, I look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. And, you know, that famous quote where Jesus gives out the bread and he says, this is my body, which was what? Broken for you. You see, the irony in the Bible is that in order for Jesus to say on the throne, I am making everything new, in order for God to give us this new, he himself first had to be broken, that he had to die and pay a price for that sin in Genesis and the brokenness that it brought from the very beginning. And in order to promise us a destiny that people around the world so desperately really want, but can only imagine On the cross, when Jesus dies, he says what? It is finished. And what does our passage say today in verse 6? He said to me, it is finished. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so the call here, the story here is this. Believe then in that promise, not just in him, but believe him when he says, I am making all things new. A place where there is no more tears, human brokenness. He addresses that. A place where there's no more death, natural brokenness, Christ addresses that. A place where God will dwell with his people and be their God. A theological brokenness is now made whole when you see the picture of Revelation 21. That's why, you know, that famous verse we quoted last time when Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, we all know it in some way. I've heard this before. If anyone is in Christ, what? He is a new creation. But when you look at the Greek, it really literally reads like this. If anyone is in Christ, a new creation. There is no he is. It just says a new creation, that the old has gone, the new has come. And what that tells us is this, that it's broadening our picture of our salvation. It's not just about me and that I get to be saved and that I get to be loved and receive grace. It's not just about me to make me new, right, which is crazy enough. But it's also to make me new and a part of his new, a part of what he calls new creation. And that promise, Paul is saying, has already begun in you by faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, think, think about this, right? In you, by his spirit, you are being made new. But more than that, you are being made to be a part of that created new right? In other words, you're a piece of heaven living on earth right now, if that's true, okay? And that's the hope of the new year. Every new year, that this is now the beginning of the rest of our lives. And our lives are destined for new because we hope in this person, Jesus Christ, who is making everything new and has brought that to begin in our hearts and in our lives where we are today. Now, that speaks to how we think about things around us, right? That ought to speak about how we look at brokenness around us or in us or between us if we are being made new. Now, I know that this narrative or this story or this perception, perspective, this way of thinking isn't always easy, is it? Uh, Always trying to live this way isn't, it certainly isn't easy. I know that there's some of us here that we always tend to see the glass half empty rather than half full. That's hard to live with the hope of heaven begun in you today when you're faced with problems of earth, when you're living with decay, 
When you're face-to-face experiencing yourself, a brokenness, a disintegration, where it seems like nothing good ever stays good in our lives, maybe you feel like your health is deteriorating. Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe your children are really difficult. Maybe you have loved ones who are really sick right now. Maybe your work feels like a never-ending downward spiral that's just going to end in a bad way. Maybe all we hear on the news all around is that there's only seem to be bad things happening all the time. And maybe though this is our new year, you still in some ways feel like the old you. You're still struggling with the same issues, the same problems, the same weaknesses, even the same sins. And maybe you've discovered new ones, right? Maybe you just feel like at times you're stuck in a rut and you just can't get out. If that's you and you have faith in Christ, I want you to read again Revelation 21 verses 1 to 8. He never said it's going to be easy. Okay, look at this passage very carefully, but look at verse 7. He says this, the one who conquers will have this inheritance or this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Do you see that? He promises all this, right? There's a promise of person, place, right? And and, and this God, this king, uh, and, and wholeness. But then he says at the end of our passage, the one who conquers will inherit all this. If he's telling us that there needs to be people who conquer, it must mean that there's going to be obstacles, right? The word conquer is fighting words. It's fighting words. And I think as John writes this to the people that he is writing to, he tells us very clearly, this is not just a dream. He's a realist. He knows you're going to have more obstacles this year. He knows that you've still got a little bit more of life to live right now here in this world. He knows that life can be a struggle. Even in 2022, the third year of our pandemic, John knows that life can get hard, that life can feel like a daily battle. And for some of us, it feels like war. And in any battle, in any war, there's going to be struggle. There's going to be some casualties along the way. And you've got to fight. You've got to fight. You've got to conquer. You see, John wrote this to a people, to a church, were being persecuted for their faith. They're literally being put to death because they said they believe in Jesus Christ. We can't relate with that, but that's what he's going through. And so there was this temptation in John's time to give up, to recant their faith, to just kind of run with the rest so they could avoid whatever the struggle it was that was in front of them. And John knows then there are people who are going to just give up in the world, who just give up and also just give in. But look at the verse 8 here at the end of our passage. There in verse 8, I think he gives us characteristics of people who give up, right? Who give in to their sin, who give in to their thinking, their, their, you know, to, to just want to run, Right? And if you notice in this list of things, in verse 8, it says this, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, idolaters, liars, their person will be in the lake of fire, right? Basically, he's saying these are the kind of people that just didn't stop fighting, that gave in. But what I want you to know in verse 8 is this, right? Of all the people that he mentions, the kind of people that he mentions, who don't overcome, who don't conquer, who who, who don't fight, who stopped, who, who just gave up right? 
the very first kind of people, I mean, there's a, a lot of bad things here, right? Detestable murderers. These are, these are bad characteristics. But what's the first characteristic of a person who gives up? And he mentions in verse 8, it's the cowardly. It's the cowardly. And we've got to ask this. Why does John mention the cowardly first? And I think here's the reason. In a battle, in a struggle, the last person you want on your side in your army is a coward. Someone who just runs. Someone who just gives up. Someone who doesn't want to fight anymore. Who just wants to give in. Someone who just sort of says, I can't do this anymore. Right? John says, that's a coward. You're controlled by fear. And he's telling us in the end of this passage to his people, and I think the Bible is telling us today, especially in 2022, as we go through whatever it is that we're struggling with at home today, we need to fight. We need to fight for our faith. We need to fight for goodness. We need to struggle and intentionally struggle and fight to be more patient. We need to fight for more mercy in our lives, to fight for more forgiveness. We need to struggle uh, for more justice, more righteousness. We need to fight. We need to do something. We need to wrestle against anxiety, against depression. We need to fight against anger, against hate and bitterness, even against apathy. You see, your faithfulness and my faithfulness isn't just going to like be there and we do nothing. We won't, we won't make it to the end and trust in the promise if we just sit there and do nothing. It, it's, that's not going to happen. There's an intentionality that John wants to give his people to those who conquer, he says in verse 7. Believing that you can fight. Believing in what he's just told us, what God has done for us, the promise he's declared to us that's begun in us. And so in 2022, I hope that whatever you're looking forward to, whatever things that you want to do, whatever things that you want to experience, the blessings would come your way, whatever that is. I hope that's true. But for sure, I want you to know this, there will be more issues. There will be more problems, not just the old ones, but maybe even new ones. There will be troubles that we will simply won't know what to do with. And so the encouragement for us this year is this, that our faith needs to grow and it needs to persevere and it needs to overcome. And we need to take that and we need to fight against this to continue in this life. Now, how do I do this? Let me just end with a couple of verses from John. John chapter 16, verse 33. This is what Jesus says. I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Listen to 1 John chapter 5. This is what John says again. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? How do we fight? And I think John says we need to come back to the one who has already won. We need to put our faith and our trust in him to believe the promise that he has, that we are now not just ourselves being created anew, but created anew in a place, in a world where things will eventually be made right. And that ought to give us hope to persevere and to struggle, to fight against all those things, not only in my heart, but around the world, 
that calls for redemption. I hope and pray this year, whatever it is that you promise, that it will be a year of blessing, that things will get better, not just uh, in the world out there, but also in our lives. But I also hope that the next struggle that does come your way, that you don't just raise your hand and say, I give up, but rather you fight. You conquer by trusting in the one who has conquered for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your love. But we also thank you for your promise and your challenge. Lord, even now, some of us, uh, we're struggling, um, whether it's our relationship with you, whether it's it's just within ourselves, our own brokenness, whether it's with relationships with others. We struggle, certainly all of us, with with uh, with the world around us and, and its um, physicality and its nature, uh, with, with whether it's the pandemic or the economy or whatever the case might be. Um, but we pray, help us to realize in moments Sometimes we also struggle with our relationship with you. We doubt, we wonder, we ask, Lord, uh, where you are. Uh, remind us again of where we are today, that as great as we are in this world, uh, we are still traveling in a wilderness, that there is nothing in this world that really ultimately can satisfy what we ultimately desire. And so we pray that your presence and your words and your promises will be made known to us more and more clear to us. What we ought to desire for more, what we ought to pray for more will be more pointed and intentional. And we pray for the strength to believe and to trust in you. And so Lord, this year, give us more faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.